Hey, Rockheads, Carl here. You know, I've spent the last month and a half researching server-side Blazor and building out a reference app with just about every bell and whistle I could find. So spend a day with me online rebuilding this app from scratch. Dates are this Monday, November 4th, Monday, November 25th, and Monday, December 16th. Cost is only $325. In one day, we'll write a complete server-side Blazor PWA app with EF Core 3, API controllers, components, SignalR, ASP.NET Core Identity, JavaScript Interop, and User Management using Visual Studio 2019 Community Edition and .NET Core 3. To sign up for Monday, go to blazor.appvnext.com. For November 25th, go to blazor1125.appvnext.com. And for December's class, go to blazor1216.appvnext.com. I can't wait to show you everything I've learned. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, I don't know what you're planning to do tonight, Halloween, but uh, <laughs> if all... And we're recording this way back in September, on the 18th of September, but if everything goes right, I might actually be able to do the floating head of death this year somewhere. Oh, we haven't done that in years. Yeah. Kelly's mom has a house in a neighborhood with a lot of kids and... And a glass door. and It's a glass door. That's the key thing, right? Yeah. And a glass door. So I might be doing that. You know, uh, yeah, our neighborhood is just tight-knit, and, and so there's Halloween parties to go to, and all the neighbors go. So yeah. I'm just going to grab a bottle of wine and wander down to the neighbors, and you sit in the garage and try and stay warm, and it's <laughs> come and go, and, and you <laughs> chat. It's it's nice. It's it's pleasant. We uh, My... Uh, my house and, and my neighbor's place, we're responsible for the end of summer parties. So we did our party right after the weekend after Labor Day. Yeah. And it rained. So we were in tents, but we were still out there. And I smoked a dozen racks of ribs. And, you know, we had a good time. Yeah. When most people smoke at a party, it's not ribs. Yeah. Well, yeah. but that's what you do. So I applaud you for that. Hey, let's play the crazy music. I got something for you, my friend. Okay. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? And this is old news by now, but I don't know if anybody notices or anybody knows, but back in September, on September 16th, an article came out in Computer World. Microsoft gives enterprises another nine months to get off Exchange Server 2010. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, isn't that interesting? You know, that they they will extend migration dates. You got to wonder, what was the customer? Yeah. Which customer said, "Yeah, no, <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna stop." Right. I don't know. Do you still run it? Uh, I still. I have a 2016 instance. Okay. But I've uh, been moving stuff over to Office 365 for a while. But yeah, my my Exchange server is still operating. It's just becoming a lower priority. I have. I have. I refuse to replace my virtual machine servers. Yeah. So while they're running, I'm still moving workloads off of them. They're not about to die, but it's like normally around now. So, I mean, I think I bought those machines in 2013. I did a full fan refresh and spinning hard refresh, like new hard drives and things in mm-hmm. like 2016. Uh-huh. And so 2019 is about the time where I'd be thinking probably I should be replacing these machines and I'm not going to. Okay. 
I'm going to move the workloads to the cloud and uh, and uh, maybe switch over to like a Synology box or something like that. But buying a pair of, of high-performance VM hosts is just no need. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. Turns out for almost nobody's doing that anymore. So. You're going to have a lot of closet space, my friend. I, I happen to have a lot of closet well, the other thing, you know, back in the day, if you, you know, go back that far back, when I first built that thing, like I have 80 user rack space, right? Because yeah. we... We, I had a bunch of machines. The fact that I consolidated desk down to two beefy for you servers already opened up a lot of rack space. Like, right. if you want to dry age some meat, I got a closet for you. <laughs> Smoke it outside, dry aging inside. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I turned the temperature up in the closet in general. Like, that's another thing that's sort of happening now is we don't make the room cold. We yeah. just keep it at sort of arm shirt temperatures. Yeah, that's what I do too. There's no need. Yeah, it doesn't. They don't need to be chilled. The machine yeah. doesn't need to be chilled. Right. But, you know, the workloads are going down. Like, it just, you can't justify all this gear anymore. Nope, so you can't. It's it's time. Yep. Uh, that's what I got, my friend. What do you got? Who's talking to us? Uh, I know we're talking about Angular today, specifically older Angular apps, too. So I grabbed a comment off of show 1391, which we did back in December of 2016, when we talked to one Jules Kremer about Angular. And at the time, Jules was the head of Angular Developer Relations. And then, uh, um, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, we had her at Dev Intersection and stuff. We worked with her a few times. She's really great. Mm -hmm. And she uh, got promoted. She went to uh, out of the Angular team entirely. And then apparently now she's back in Angular, but I think she's like head of Angular now. So wow. we'll have to loop back with her. But that was a really fun discussion because in 2016, we were talking specifically about the issues between Angular 1 and Angular 2, right? Because that was that big schism. Yep. Uh, you know, we had and lots of people were upset about it because it was very much a change in philosophy where Angular 2 became, was a much more opinionated product. Yeah, it was product. more opinionated and, Jamie, and less configury. Yeah, and that's what Jamie Olmo uh, really jumped into. Admittedly, his comments from three years ago. But he says, definitely one of the best episodes of the year. Not for revealing the winner of the shopping spree, because that's the other thing we did. This was a December show. Yeah. But for the content in this show, I had honestly ruled out Angular from my tool set. I'm currently using Vue.js and sometimes React. But listening to how Angular has been transformed in an opinionated framework has been eye-opening mm. so it's like their conversation with jules and really talking about their thought process i think had an impact on jamie yep at first with angular one i badly criticized both the product and the team when angular 2 came out and not offering a clear option to upgrade to me that was even more devastating but through the show i've been getting, beginning to see angular with other eyes there's nothing more rewarding than to see the humility and the commitment of a team embodied in a product and this is precisely what I got from the show. To hear that the Angular team really cares about my happiness as a developer has been the reason enough to reevaluate it. And good, uh, well done to Jules and the whole team. And thank you guys for a great show. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. That really, I'm really, that really pleases me because I think that was our intent with that show was to just sort of convey the fact that they did not casually go into Angular 2, that it was a torment for them as well. Right. And, and we did talk about the the upgrade options, but they were limited. It was not an easy thing to do. Yep. Uh, and of course, there's now many f further versions along. But this this sort of getting to opinionated software mindset, it's come up in our conversations a few times now. Sure. And I think it's it's uh, it's the way we should be going these days. Yep. 
Absolutely. So, Jamie, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or on the social medias because we publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. Right. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. Hey, I wonder if Twitter uses Exchange 2010. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking no. You don't think so? <laughs> That's I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. <laughs> that would be yeah, overkill sure. for Twitter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> plus it's 2010. Like there's been yeah. there's a 2013 edition, a 2016 edition, now a 2019 edition, which by the way, I've not migrated to 2019. And I won't. If I had the cycles to even consider doing that, go to Office 365 for crying out loud. Right, right. Well, anyway, let's bring back Jennifer Wadella. She has been writing code since before she realized it was a credible career path. She's currently working as the lead Angular consultant at Bitovi and loves building performant web applications and speaking at technical conferences and brewing kombucha. Jennifer is an active member of the Kansas City tech community and the founder of Kansas City Women in Technology, Kickwit. <laughs> Or is Abs- it- no, no, Kiss we've it. had this discussion before. No. Kiss wit. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, it's an organization aimed at growing the number of women in technology careers in Kansas City. She is the PubConf Sydney 2018 champion, a Silicon Prairie Champion Award nominee, rising trendsetter, STEMI Award winner, and is apparently Missouri's coolest woman, according to Pure Wow. Welcome back, Jen. <laughs> also, it's Jennifer. Don't make me break your knee. Welcome back, Jennifer. You know, Thank my you. wife, <laughs> my wife, uh, is, her name is Kelly. And when people call her Kel, it drives her absolutely crazy. And so Richard, for a while there, was calling her Kel just to push her buttons. So one day she said, call me Kelly, dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think you stopped calling her Kelly. Yep, after that. she was Kelly ever after. Made, made your point just fine. Yeah. Okay, Jennifer. What have you been up to since the last time we talked? Which was when? When was that? That was at a NDC or a something. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah it was NDC I mean, London. Been a, a year. Oh, it hasn't been two years, has it? That's terrifying. And I think it's been two years. Yeah. Well, I, Holy I crap. Yeah, uh, I've been up to a lot of stuff. No, no, it's a year. It was Jan- It was published in January 2018, so that's yep. right after NDC London. Yep. So there you go. Okay. All right. All right. That, that's less scary then. Now that we know who you are and what to call you and what you've been doing. No, we don't know what you've been doing. What have you been doing lately? Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, doing a lot of conferencing. Mm. Uh, doing a lot of Angular development. Uh, it took a job with a consulting company in December. So that's kind of my first time foraying into the consulting world. Um, Brewing kombucha. Yeah. Working out, you know, living the life. So you've been, have you been migrating older Angular apps? Is that uh, the the thing that we're going to talk about here? It is a thing we're going to talk about here. And um, it's just moving into a consulting role and getting exposed to a lot of different problems that people are experiencing and spending a lot of time um, at conferences. You just, you don't realize how many people are still supporting legacy technology and nobody is really creating content for them anymore. They've been kind of like left in the, in the dust. Um, Mm. And so I'm kind of like, okay, what can I do? 
um, to make their jobs easier and kind of keep up with modern best practices when they are not in a situation where business is going to allow them to do like a massive upgrade or a massive rewrite. Like what Mm. things can they do today and now that are feasible? I'm sorry. I'm just getting my head around Angular as legacy content. Yeah, right. right? I thought that was modern, (laughs) right? Uh, well, uh, us young and JavaScript developers have a little bit of a, a different timeline view. So, yeah, right. okay, yeah, sure. but and we, are you, when you say legacy Angular, you are talking Angular one. Um, yes, and like the the technical car- terminology preferred by the Google team is Angular JS is the original, like Angular up to like one point five, one point eight, and then everything Angular two plus is just referred to as Angular now. Right. Which is not helpful for when you're trying to Google for like Angular um, version results. And so you normally do like Angular 2 plus and then whatever you need to know. But um, the team would prefer that we refer to it as Angular JS and Angular. What are we up right. to? Seven or eight now? Eight. Eight. Holy man. They, they've, mm-hmm. they've definitely accelerated since two. I mean, two is three years ago. Well, by the time this comes out, we might have nine. Right. Yeah, I know. Um, it's they push out quite a bit, um, but there haven't been any really destructive breaking changes. I think since maybe like six, um, and not even that it was that big of a scale, but you, it really hasn't been a concern as they've been rolling out new versions. Is mostly just new toys to play with. Right. Just new cap. So it's just adding the capability rather than actually replacing capability. Uh, yeah, the one thing they're working on right now is their um, new render engine Ivy um, that's offering a lot of um, interesting features, which is all anybody talks about is the new shiny stuff, which is why I've been like mm. on this kick lately about creating content for for those left behind. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, that that's fair and and smart. So, what is a what what is what are the main issues that you have to deal with when you're trying to bring an old Angular app into the into the 21st century? Well, so the the biggest thing is if you want to move to modern Angular, it's going to be a complete rewrite. Um, And so you've got, you know, a ton of companies who um, aren't uh, as familiar with the the modern technology needs. And so you say you want to rewrite the application and they're like, well, why did I, you know, why did we spend all this money to rewrite it in AngularJS in the first place? And so I feel like a lot of people are kind of in this position where they are supporting some sort of legacy AngularJS app, or um, maybe they are, you know, at a company that has acquired old technology and there's just not a good enough business reason to change. And so how can they, um, not only like continue building their application in a way that makes sense for a someday upgrade um, future, but also like what we care about as JavaScript developers a lot is updating our skill set and making sure that our skills are current and relevant. And that can be hard when maintaining a legacy code base. So how do you mm-hmm. stay happy wanting to be a modern developer when you are stuck supporting a legacy JavaScript code base? So that's been kind of my focus lately. Yeah. Is it a complete rewrite if you're an Angular 2? Is there a certain level of uh, Angular where it is a complete rewrite and then it switches over to, well, maybe we could just modernize it? So um, everything like Angular 2 afterwards, there have been it's pretty consistent. Um, and so there are some really great um, ng upgrade tools that you can use that'll handle a lot of the issues for you. Oh, um, so anything after that is not a complete rewrite. That's cool. Yep. Wasn't there some tools for going from one X to 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 two, the migration assistance, that kind of thing? 
There might be, but the one of the huge issues is, and this is what I explore in some of the content I'm creating, um, it vastly depends on the way you built your AngularJS app um, right. because you weren't necessarily forced into modularity in the way you're writing. And so you could very quickly end up with some spaghetti code that um, even if there was an upgrade tool, it wouldn't be to a manageable point to even port over. Um, and so a big part is like taking your existing code base and getting it to that kind of place that you could use some other tools. Um, I think that's like where the bulk of the work will lie. Oh, I see. I I'll, I'll include a link to this, but in GitHub, there's a project called the NG Migration Assistant. But what it really says is I'm going to analyze your code and give you some strategies. And I suspect one of those strategies is rewrite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, one of the great things that happened in the AngularJS community is like what, it was the wild, wild west for, I don't know, like maybe a year or two. And then uh, John Papa delivered onto us, onto us plebs, his style guide for AngularJS development. And, and the world was new and shiny after that. Yeah. Um, and so the style guide really put together a great way to start writing AngularJS applications. And it's really funny because if you compare the way you are um, writing your, your components and your, and your modules following the style guide, it very much is reflected in um, current Angular development. And so once you start migrating to that mindset and that way of organizing your files and organizing your code base, it becomes much more feasible to, to modernize it. Right. Yeah, and again, it's this. This is a side effect of Angular One because it was it resisted opinion so strongly. People went in a lot of different directions with it, and after mm -hmm. Google saw that, I think this is what we talked about in that show with tools, right? And they realized that the lack of opinion was causing huge problems. They went to a more opinionated mindset that going forward. Well, and it also really depends on the audience you're trying to serve because like you see a lot of Angular in enterprise applications and these are, you know, probably being maintained by developers who have not been writing JavaScript for the last 10 years and are going to opt for something like Vue or React where they have much more granular control, can focus much more on performance, um, like companies are looking for a more holistic solution that's making those choices for them, which is why Angular um, tends to, like modern Angular tends to be the safest bet for that. Right. So I'm curious, what's the biggest problem with Angular 1 that doesn't allow you to do uh, what you would consider to be a modern app, uh, you know, modernized microservices oh. and, and oh. all that goes along start? with it? Um, so if you, uh, even if you were to like um, clone the uh, repo that they have, like that teaches you how to, how to build your first Angular website, um, that hasn't really been modernized at all. So let's say you um, want to have sort some sort of a build tool because maybe you want to use some sort of CSS compiler or heaven forbid you want to start writing your files in TypeScript and you're going to need to um, compile those into something that can be read by the browser. Mm. Uh, that isn't inherently built in. And um, I remember like back when I was dealing with AngularJS apps, it was, uh, I think a startup I was working at, I had taken on the task of implementing unit tests. And so a big part of that was porting, I don't even remember if we were using a build process at all. I think we might have literally just been slapping every JavaScript file ever into an index.html page. Um, but figuring out how to implement Webpack to compile and serve those files and also set up a testing instance uh, with Karma. So it's just, there's so much work that you have to do out of the gate to get it set up like that, which is pales in comparison to modern Angular, where you have the CLI 
that, you know, within a couple keystrokes, you have an entire new module that's got test spec'd out and everything like that. And you never even think about compiling or dealing with webpack loaders or anything like that. Mm. Um, so there's just a lot of, <laughs> a lot of work you have to do to the ground up to even get to the point of looking like what it feels like to, to develop a modern Angular app. Hmm. Yep. Still getting the giggles every time you say modern Angular. Yeah. Yeah. But, <sighs> you know, you're right. After Angular 2, things like Angular CI, like CLI, they did break out into separate tooling around all these things. Like, this is what we're, our, our, what we're really talking about is the ball of mud approach to JavaScript versus this, you know, putting in place separation of concerns and structure around the various bits of, of JavaScript code you need to live with. Yep. And it's, <laughs> man, you get a little CLI dependent too. If you're like, man, I have to physically like create a file, like via the command line. Mm. Oof, that's, that's a lot of keystrokes that I don't want to make. It's, it's just hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a little CLI, yeah. CLI dependencies there. I know. I'm like, oh, I have to type or I have to click on things. What, what blasphemy is this? It's <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> what archaicness is this? Yeah, seriously. Uh, I know this. It, I have to say, it, I'm I'm spoiled now by Blazor. That you're, uh, you're done. It, I'm and this done. is only like in the past like two months. You've just yeah. started like, why would I do anything except Blazor? S- seriously, I'm hard pressed to find a reason not to use it. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, um, you know, a third party controller, whatever, doesn't do what I want it to do. Right. But usually, there's three or four different companies to choose from. And a lot of times they're just wrapping standard HTML controls. So you can always go back to there. Yeah. But anyway, I looked at Angular a few times and I, I don't know, they, as a JavaScript program, you're probably used to like new language syntax all the time, but it just didn't make sense for me for oh, yeah. equals let what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you just talking about like modern ES6? Yeah. <laughs> Let and const that's that's throwing you. Yeah, just stuff like that. Oh man, yeah. Um, and that's that's such that's such the weird thing about like being a JavaScript developer is there's such a wide variety of toolings. And um, like if you're on an older code base, you might have never touched you know ESX before or even like gotten into TypeScript or any compiled languages. And the second that you go out on the job search and people won't talk to you because you haven't used these things in production. And it's just like, it can be really, really frustrating because you can be a great programmer. But like I, uh, my last job search, a lot of places wouldn't hire me because I didn't have React production experience. And I'm like, guys, I've been learning JavaScript frameworks for like, you know, the last six, seven, eight years. This is, this is what I do. Like there will be a new one on Monday and it'll be way better than React is. So uh, Are you going to fire me because I don't know it when it comes out on Monday? Yeah. No, no, it's not um, firing you because you don't know it. It's because you don't have 10 years experience in it. Yeah, right. Yes. It just came yes. out. That, that's also the, the fun job requirements to see yeah, where you're yeah. like, hmm. 10 years uh, of React experience. hasn't been there that long, but okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, one says it's moving too fast, but the other, the other side is like, we are getting, it feels like we're getting more organized. Mm-hmm. Am I deluded? Yeah. Am I crazy that this does make more sense? Like, you're, is Angular maintainable? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I thought you were just talking about the JavaScript ecosystem as a whole, which is like, you know, build it up, burn it down again because something's better. 
Um, mm. I don't know. We'll see how long everybody's on the reactive programming kick. Uh, <laughs> well, it felt like Angular reached a point of maturity where it became tools that enterprise architects were going to start recommending. And, and in my world, at least, that means you're looking at a piece of software that's going to be in use for at least 10 years. Oh, absolutely. When I go poke around the Angular JS website, it talks about long-term support. Like they recognize that there are enterprise apps out there dependent on this library and they're not going to let it go and they're and they're going to continue if they find security vulnerabilities to fix them they're just not adding new features mm -hmm. which one would argue enterprise dev don't want anyway right like it's like now the app works it works as it works i don't i don't want to change it mm -hmm. yep. but there's this other area where innovation is going on it's just a question of is this a place where the enterprise dev actually wants to live or not so modernizing let's define that I mean, it goes beyond build tools and uh, DevOps, but uh, I mean, a, a lot of just modern tools and techniques fall into that category. Yeah. So maybe we should um, go over some of those. Yes, yeah, so we can break it down into a couple sections. Um, so the first one uh, that I feel like I like front end developers probably focus on more build tools because they largely tie into performance and optimization. Um, so we are, you know, thinking about things like making sure that we're minifying our code, um, stripping out comments and having code maps that we can refer to for debugging, um, figuring out better ways to render images, figuring out ways to serve assets that, um, you know, don't, don't deal with caching issues. And so a big part of that learning and understanding and being able to improve the performance of your application is often having that build tool, tool knowledge to make sure that you're taking your code and serving it in, you know, the best way you can in the browser. Um, <clears throat> especially with running like lighthouse performance tests and everything like that. And I feel like um, Angular takes some hits sometimes because people like to argue about performance um, versus if you're using, um, I'm a huge fan of Gatsby, which is the static site generator built on React that has just all this performance optimization built into it. You almost don't even have to think about it. It's really, mm. really nice. Mm. Um, but that's a huge part of modern apps is because, you know, uh, web standards are changing. Um, we're needing to make sure that we're able to serve content and create progressive web apps um, for people who, you know, don't have as great of internet connection, all sorts of considerations there. Um, and then we also have a lot of, you know, tools that are coming out that will help us write better code. One of those being TypeScript, which, you know, allows us to write um, more strictly type JavaScript and catch a lot of errors uh, that we might not normally hit until runtime. Um, and so there's work that you have to do to an AngularJS app to even be able to um, write it in, in TypeScript uh, and take advantage of all those features. Uh, so that's another big area. Now, I'm absolutely agreeing with you that that's sort of the role of TypeScript in it. Good enough for the Angular team should be good enough for everyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really funny because like you, you, you talk to developers and you've got some of them like me who are like, you know, raised in the wild world of JavaScript where we're like, just like, you know, throwing bars and that can be a string and that can be a number and <laughs> then it's non and, you know, all sorts of drama. And we're just like, screw you, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> um, and so you have somebody like that who does not come from like a strongly typed language background and like you throw TypeScript at them and they're like, this compiler is just yelling at me. I don't like this. It's inhibiting my workflow. Right. And then like you see the change start to happen where they're like, oh, you know, you know, I, I never thought about that before. I'm like, ooh, I'm, I'm, let's see what this compiler area is telling me. Ooh, I didn't even know about this feature. And like slowly you're like come to rely on it. And it's, it's just this interesting transition that I myself have made where I'm like, oh, TypeScript is so oppressive. And now I'm like, 
I need TypeScript, please. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Protect so, me. Yeah. This world is horrible. Well, I, yeah. I think anybody who is hunted for a type change in code somewhere. Right. Just uh, it's like, you know, you wouldn't have gotten here with TypeScript. Like it just wouldn't have happened. It would have mm-hmm. caught it early on. You only have to spend a day chasing one of those things around once. And you're like, this sucks. This is not what I wanted to be doing with my day. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then for me personally, like, again, coming from just JavaScript, I am obsessed with interfaces. Like they're my favorite thing. Uh-huh. Um, just from like an automatic code documentation, because the number of times that I've wandered into a code base and, you know, I'm trying to um, use some sort of Angular service that's got an HTTP request and there's no documentation. I'm trying to figure out like what params I'm supposed to pass, like what's going on, trying to debug that. Of course, the API isn't documented at all. And when you walk into a TypeScript environment and you're already, you know, creating interfaces that are describing a um, the parameters for a function you might need, but not only that, but like what that function is supposed to return, it's yeah. a much... Oh, it's it's just it's delightful. It's so and delightful. a little you enforcement know. just let you know, hey, that's not what this interface is expecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate to say at compile time because what the heck does that mean? But early on in the process, you catch these issues. Yeah, and like absolutely, like yeah, having it happen during the compiler where like you ha- you had that instant notification of hey, you you done something wrong. Uh, pretty pretty spectacular so yeah it's, it, mm-hmm. it's it's very powerful stuff and i'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message come join richard and me at dev intersection november 18th through the 21st at the mgm grand in las vegas pre-con workshops are november 17th and 18th and post-cons are november 22nd Speakers you've heard on .NET Rocks include Scott Guthrie, Scott Hunter, Scott Hanselman, Kathleen Dollard, Jeff Fritz, Kim Tripp, Paul Randall, Dan Wallin, John Papa, Marcus Egger, Michelle LaRue Bustamante, and more. I'll be doing a deep dive session on server-side Blazor, and Richard will be doing his History of .NET Talk, and we'll both be hosting the closing session. Get a discount when you register with the code D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S. Go to devint.netrocks.com right now to claim your discount. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Yo. We're talking to our friend Jennifer Wadella, my paella pal. Uh. We've, we've made much paella together, and that's not a yes. euphemism. It was paella. <laughs> <laughs> did you get a nice socarat on the bottom there? We did. We got a couple of good crispy ones. We well, a she brought out the biggest pan I've ever seen in my life. Like, okay. what was that a thirty-inch pan you got, Jennifer? I mean, like, yeah, 28, 30 inches. It's it's absurd. It was a beast, and we made in one night we filled that thing twice. Um, yeah, what did we made, did we serve like forty something people? Yeah, so think, we made yeah. made a big pie in the big pan first. It got wiped while I was making a veggie paella in a smaller pan. And by the time the veggie paella was ready, the big pan was clean, and I just loaded it up again and made it again. Yep. Although um, I got really confused because one of my friends told me she only got the veggie paella. And I was like, wait, I thought you got it on the first round. And she's like, no, by the time I got there, it had become just a veggie paella. People had swiped all the the protein out of it. (laughs) All the shrimp and stuff out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it, it went over well. And it's always fun because, like, you, you know, programmers are pretty smart people, but uh, their food palettes are um, less than diverse sometimes. And so, like, yeah. having to, like, introduce people to a paella is just a delightful, delightful experience. Yeah, look, you're you're eating, you know, international food. It's, I mean, it's rice, 
with meat. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's rice. Yes. Uh, I want to jump back into this, but let me throw another curveball at this. Is one of the ways to modernize an Angular app to move away from Angular? Like, you're talking about a rewrite anyway. Does does the Angular 2 Plus versions hold any grip over my Angular 1X app compared to, say, a Vue approach? Um, I think they do, especially with Ivy, because now we're getting um, more tree shaking ability. Um, so if we're lazy loading, you know, different parts of our application that might not be necessary into a user really wants them, um, we're having ways to optimize performance and uh, deal with code. And then, but at the end of the day, I think it really depends on your team. Um, if you've got a bunch of people who are used to being in, you know, larger corporate environments, supporting a code base, not making a lot of decisions, versus if you've got some seasoned JavaScript professionals who are into, you know, fast moving iteration, they've, you know, written single page applications for in JavaScript for like the last decade. Um, I think a more mo- like a tool like React or Vue would probably be more appropriate because they don't need as much of that that structure that Angular offers. And you just sort of casually dropped Angular Ivy there, which is really quite new. What is Ivy? Um, so yeah, Ivy is the new render engine um, that is kind of taking a different approach to um, the way assets are, are compiled and rendered and will um, offer some additional features. I haven't had a whole lot of time to play around with it, but um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of great talks that people are putting out about all the features. But mm. it's not available to Angular JS developers, which is sad. Um, well, but- it's, it's Angular 8. Like, it's right up there. It's the new stuff. Yeah. Um, I, like... Based on what the team had been saying for a while, I'm surprised that it's like, because you could opt into it via beta, I don't know, a couple couple months ago. My, my timeline is off. Um, but I didn't expect it to drop as quickly as it did. So they've been hauling hmm. to, to get that out to us. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. And yeah, just interesting to think in terms of, of this is not changing your code per se, but it's giving you a new rendering pipeline so you're going to know more about it it almost seems typescripty in some respect that you just learn more at com- quote unquote compile time giggling about that um yeah with your app running in an, mm-hmm. under the new versions of angular yeah so um super interesting and then the one thing um to completely like just divert back to the original thing is we haven't really talked about um this this concept of reactive programming yet which is really i think um Take, taken off from Angular largely being um, based on RxJS, but you're starting to see RxJS used across Vue and React apps as well. And this whole new um, programming paradigm, essentially, um, which is another important thing to think about, you know, AngularJS developers feeling limited by their tool sets to understand that they can actually um, use libraries and start to use reactive programming um, like as a mental model inside their own application. So I think that's another hmm. piece to the modernization puzzle. Is... So you've got a spa and now you're using reactive extensions to do what? Why, um, why would people use this? Well, uh, so it, it's getting us towards more like reactive or more imperative programming. Because mm-hmm. um, one of the problems with, you know, JavaScript is we're largely concerned with um, interactions from a user. Um, and then, you know, handling some sort of business logic that we might be doing on the client side. And so you've got all these different sources of information. 
Um, and so when you've got random events firing and, and you're um, programming very declaratively, it can um, lead to a lot of entangled code, be very hard to read. And so when you take a more reactive approach where you're trying to derive um, state or derive data from like all these different input points, it can be a lot easier to read and debug um, and, and manage um, stateful applications better. So. Yeah, just this idea that you're sitting on a static page and you want to refresh things and you end up writing a lot of state logic yourself, polling and checking for stuff and reactive is better at organizing this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a huge like mental shift um, that, you know, if people feel like they um, don't like they can't use the tools in their current environment, they might kind of like just shoot like tune out and not be open to, you know, exploring this new concept, um, not realizing that they could really take advantage of it just because it is, you know, comes out of the box with Angular. Yeah. And so in reactive, you're doing more of this declaring listeners and things like that. Like I'm watching for this and I'm watching for this. And if this happens, do that. Like it's, it's that, like you said, more imperative approach to I'm worried about all of these things. And you can see that right up front. Exactly. And I feel like um, once you've like gone, like gotten over the curve as a program is um, of understanding this approach that the code is really much more readable, you have a very much a better idea of what's going on, uh, there are going to be less like weird side effects that can happen um, from mm -hmm. from different things. So um, that that's another big piece of modernizing is not just using tools, but um, changing the way we think about programming and and using other tools available to allow us to enact that style of coding yeah it just hit me that it's like this is not tim berners lee's web anymore right like <laughs> the the old you know post and get mindset and just pushing a form and getting it back that's not what we're talking about here this is a way more interactive model and mm -hmm. it, it, it takes some time to really say how am i going to organize this I, I appreciate rx is we it's been around for years but mm -hmm. To make to think that this is a just sort of be a staple tool for how you build a spa, that's really an interesting thing to think about. But that, that, that's what I want now. That's what modern looks like. Well, for now, until something more modern comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, this week. Right. Although, is it really that twitchy anymore? I mean, I we've been talking for years about how twitchy JavaScript had gotten. And we were talking about the tribes of, of libraries that worked together and the ones that, you know, they didn't all work together. There was sort of clusters around different sets of tools. It does seem in some respects to have calmed down, right? Like it's kind of a Angular, React, and Vue stacks, right? Yeah, and I think they're also getting um, maybe a little bit more respectful because, you know, everybody loves to talk about their framework and talk about how it's so much better and shame everybody yeah. else who's using a different framework. Um, but the cool thing is a lot of people are getting more into um, the Web Components API and mm -hmm. starting to think about, okay, well, you know, JavaScript applications and, and frameworks are changing so rapidly, you know, how can we start to build components that are more framework agnostic per se, um, that can be used across multiple scenarios, because you're seeing companies that just have collections of, of apps built in whatever, you know, was JavaScript's flavor of the week. And so how do you know, you maintain that without going through the learning curve every time of having to learn an entire new um, framework? Right, or demanding that every one of these different bits and pieces get upgraded to an ES 2017. Yeah, and that's e just not feasible. Crazy. Yeah, so everybody is on the um, the web components uh, bandwagon right now. And so that's actually a really cool solution for um, Angular JS developers as well is, okay, so the problem is you know that you might be able to upgrade your app someday. 
And so you still have to be supporting it, adding new features. But how do you do that in a way that makes like where you're not just adding to the the technical debt for that upgrade someday? And so if you can start to take approach of building um, like web component focused stuff using Angular elements to um, build new features that will work both in your Angular JS app, but in a new Angular app, if you rewrite it, that can be another really uh, powerful way to um, mitigate future tech debt. And again, this feels like more sustainable thinking. Like we're not just dancing around with different balls of mud that we're trying to make stuff that will last. <laughs> are, you, are you calling my JavaScript mud? Balls of mud. Yeah, a ball of mud. <laughs> and, and, and not your JavaScript, the other guys. Mm, mm. Mm. <laughs> but you, totally valid. Your ball of mud is beautiful. It is in its own <laughs> special stick and twiggy kind of way. <laughs> duct tape and bailing wire kind of way yep yep maybe some dog hair actually but very we likely some dog hair sorry. cat hair yeah all those good <laughs> but we haven't oh. we haven't been doing this in the in the web development world for a while right like we, it, it was mvc and mvvm that were sort of the first here we start to separate some concerns mm-hmm. but uh but this is more thorough. I mean, I've got I've got the link to the web components here that I'll I'll throw on the website. But wow, it's just the 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 scope of thinking about overall separations and and collections of of support. Yeah, I think it's like a little bit more of a holistic approach to web development. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe the funny thing is I don't know that you'd want to start here. Like you need to have built some stuff and oh, had yeah. some. Pain. Oh yeah. Before you really want to sit and look at web components and go, yeah, yeah, I want me some of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is also like, y'all know that I do a lot with with teaching um, people how to code, especially women how to code. And it's so interesting to come in and try and write JavaScript today and use a modern framework that, you know, recruiters are going to ma- demand you have on your resume, but having no comprehension of like even you know, a web page and what the DOM is and like what you're actually doing um, with these these web components that frameworks have created and how that's manipulating the DOM, how that's transforming and working with data. It's, um, it, there's just so much from the way we've come uh, that, yeah, it's it's frustrating trying to cram all that history and the why and then you land on web components and you're like, what is happening? What am I doing with my life? Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, it could easily intimidate someone away from being a web developer when you start showing this level of abstraction. Yeah, and it's like there's so many people like from my day who like we we put some HTML files together, we slapped some JavaScript on there, we dumped them on FileZilla, we called it a day. Like <laughs> that yeah. that that mental like ease into it does not exist anymore. So I mean, we, and we talked about this in in traditional development models and client side development models, and so forth. Where we hit a peak of complexity. And I, I, I'm just trying to figure out where we are in this arc for for JavaScript. Essentially, is are we at a peak of a complexity, or are we actually starting to pull back and and simplify? I don't know. I feel like, and again, like the JavaScript community is so young, it's almost like you know, a little like golden retriever puppy that's been like running around chasing its tail, being completely neurotic. And I feel like we've matured into like a little bit, like maybe we're like a two to three year old golden retriever now where we're like still kind of chaotic, but we have a little bit more of understanding of how the world works and how we should function in it. (laughs) Yeah. You're not actively trying the idea that you would run around until you throw up doesn't happen near as much anymore. And that's it doesn't (laughs) happen. Near as much. Near as much. (laughs) Near as much. Yeah. (laughs) 
but it, it does, yeah, it feels like there's more sophistication here. Um, mm -hmm. What about testing harnesses? And again, we talk about sustainability of software. What do, you, what, do you have approaches you like? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so the great thing about modern Angular is it's built in and it just works because two um, project, AngularJS projects, I was the one to go in and figure out how to implement front-end testing in the first place, which included like uh, getting Webpack, compiling the files in the way and getting Karma set up and everything like that. And it was drama. And like, even hmm. then, like AngularJS at the time provided a really good way to test, but there was still so much like labor intensive work to even get to the point of understanding how to write the tests. Um, that it's just, it, it was a lot of work and I feel like a lot of people still don't do it. Um, but the great thing about um, the Angular ecosystem is it's huge, right? Like it, it would take so long to be an expert on like every little, little piece of that ecosystem. But the great thing about unit testing is it forces you to understand how Angular is working under the hood to truly implement your unit test correctly. Right. Um, right. So it's, yeah, uh, kind of one of those things that it forces you to really take a good look and understanding. Um, like, are you familiar with zones in Angular? No. What's a zone? Yeah, have you... Uh, uh, we could do a whole nother podcast on that because it's a very long story, but um, it, it, they rely heavily on it for change detection. And so if you were trying to emulate um, like unit tests in the UI with different pieces of information you might be collecting from a user it, where you're not quite to an end-to-end -end test, it's still like within a unit test, but you're, you're trying to um, test like these little functions that might be happening. You have to have an understanding of that and change detection to be able to mimic that change detection in your test to unit test the things that you want. Um, hmm. So yeah, anyway, yeah, Angular just huge, huge ecosystem. But the great thing about unit tests is they force you to get in and, and learn about things that you might take for granted or not realize that are happening. And you, you referred to Karma as sort of the test runner for, for Angular yeah. and it's yep. all versions of Angular? Uh, yeah, I think... What did AngularJS launch with? I, it's been so long. Um, I think, yeah, AngularJS launched with Karma. And then I don't, uh, is it Mocha? I, don't, I, don't, I never remember like the syntax language. They're all pretty much sure. the same. Um, but when you, get, when you get down to the adapter level testing, QUnit, Jasmine, Mocha, like all those things work. It's just a question yeah. of what's managing your tests. And I guess Karma seems to be the way. Yep. Yeah. Um, I haven't. Yeah, seen much deviation outside of Karma in the Euler community. Although, um, what's the new thing everybody is talking about? I'm really excited that I just have not had time to go and explore. Uh, oh, Cypress. So many. Yeah, Cypress is is the rage Cypress, right now. I think. Yeah. yeah. What is that? Say what? What is that? What's Cypress? I don't even know if I can give you a TLDR because I've been swamped with so many other things that I haven't been able to like even attend a single workshop for it. Um, I know Justin James has been doing some good Cypress workshops. Yeah, I've, I've had I've had, had James on. doing um, talks at Dev Intersection on Cypress. It, yeah, as just another way to do testing for web, right? It's another mm -hmm. it's another good tool and another yeah. uh, uh, approach to it. It's you know, there's I'm just trying to keep up with the names. Much less actually uh, understanding any of this I'm stuff. I'm in the you know? Angular community, and I still can't keep track of like all the tools going on ever. Like, yeah, it's it's insane. Um, but the good thing is, you keep hearing about the same thing enough where you're like, okay, I should probably go and invest time to figure out what that is and what it can do for me. So it, it is interesting how that's the way it ends up servicing. It's like I keep hearing about this, so I guess yeah. I'm going to have to do that. And 
I feel like I'm, I'm picking sessions very much the same way at points. Although, yeah, we haven't done a show around Cypress. We've done a show around Mocha and a few of the other uh, testing frameworks, but it -hmm. is interesting to just think in terms of we're still feeling our way for building great test harnesses for websites. It's not a trivial thing to do. Oh, um, so the the talk I'm working on, and I think I'm giving it at Dev Intersections, is about modernizing AngularJS apps. And -hmm. like, I think at least twice in my presentation, but definitely one of my last slides is do not implement a single technique I've described unless you go to your team and get buy-in from every single one of them. Like, do not go <laughs> home and rewrite your AngularJS app in an entire weekend or I will find you and hunt you down and tell wow. you that was a jerk move. <laughs> Yikes. Do not use the, the information I'm providing to be a jerk. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because it's like, you know, and I feel like it's calmed down. Like, you know, when we talk about the JavaScript community just being so crazy, but somebody will hear about some cool technology and they will go home on a weekend and write, write the entire code base and then expect the rest of the team to figure out what the hell is going on and like move to this new. And it's it happens a lot. Like I, I still hear about it happening all the time. And so that's my, my little like soapbox that I get on my talk is like, I'm going to talk about some cool things that you might get excited about doing. Do not do them without express consent and buy-in from your team, the other people who will be helping you maintain this code. Yeah, but also it's like conference sessions are great, but they're not definitive either. Like it disturbs me when someone sees a session and says, this is the one true way and all things must change this immediately. And it's like, eh, within an hour and 15 minutes. it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Like I know how it works. So yes, hence my my angry mom warning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and don't make mom angry you wouldn't like her when she's yes. angry yeah uh or maybe it's yeah, like very fair that you need, you need to think about it right one way yes. or the other uh, yes like i think it's a good solution but i don't like like anybody to go and like wild wild west cowboy this solution so yeah well and i do like you know i went to a conference session and i got an idea and i want to show you guys the idea look at this this is pretty cool what do you think like make mm-hmm. it into a conversation about it, not not you know the one I've got a new religion. Yeah, and I think I say that like what I want you to take out of this talk is any idea of how to do this and how to advocate for doing this if mm-hmm. your team chooses to. So yeah, which I think is the structure of a good conference session. Period. Right. I cannot teach you a technology in an hour, but I can get you inspired enough to want to talk to your team about. Let's explore this further. Mm-hmm. Or if it's really in depth, I can give you the stuff to Google for to solve the problem that you know I described. <laughs> right, right. Well, and it, and I think you know you've seen that in the room when you describe someone's problem to the letter. It's like sometimes da 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 da, and you see a half a dozen heads suddenly pop up. Like that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> You'll want to look here and here for help. Oh, they take notes. I've even had people run out of the room. Right, like right at that moment, like, that's it. That was the thing, and off they go. I'm like, I, I don't care about the conference anymore. I need to go fix the thing. Yeah, um, I gave a a talk on this really um, specific interface in Angular um, at NGConf that like the organizers didn't even know uh, what this interface was, and it solves a lot of form problems. Um, and it's really funny because like the best feedback I got was so many people came up to me and they're like, I've run into this problem so many times. I had no idea how to solve it. Like this is the thing that I can take home and, and use Monday to make my life yeah. better. And so it's conference like, that's, that's paid the for, dream right? Speaker, that moment. Right? Yeah. It's, it's one of those nuggets. Yeah. That to me, you know, I've been making shows for 25 years and, and that's what I look for. We, mm-hmm. that if every attendee gets one moment like that at a show, the, they're delighted. Like they're now happy. 
The more yep. we can scatter those opportunities within the conference, the better off we are. Absolutely. And it's just like you're you're talking to such a wide variety of people and experiences and and think they things they've had time to look into and things they're completely unaware of. Um, and so it's like trying to go in depth enough for the people who need the in-depth knowledge, but for the people who don't have those subsequent building blocks, make sure they can walk away with something to to build up to that point. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Jennifer, speaking of speaking and conferences, what's next on your list? Um, well, so we're recording this in September. And so I'm doing, um, I have a friend who runs a, a Google developer group in Springfield. And so, um, the Google developer groups all have their like little mini one day dev fest. So I'm doing a talk there. And then October is the crazy month where I go from a conference in Romania to a conference in Australia, to a conference in Canada, to a conference in Norway. So. Wow. So by the time when you get to Las Vegas for Dev Intersection in the and towards the end of November, you'll you'll be exhausted or relaxed because it's like, hey, I'm done. Uh, well, okay. So I get home from Norway. Uh, my little sister's wedding is two days after that. So nice. who knows what sort of emotional um, family drama lit palooza that will be? <laughs> and then I've got two more conferences. In drama palooza. Oh, weddings. Weddings are dumb. Weddings are so dumb. There's so many societal pressures on them and everybody loses their minds. And it's just like, oh, at least the wine will be good. Ah, the wine will be good. <laughs> and on a dark note. The one thing yeah. to look forward to. Family <sighs> can be an F word, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Did, have we anything we missed at places people should be looking for more info about modernized near Angular app? Um, I do a fair amount of blogging either on my website, jenniferwadella.com, at my company's website, batovi.com, or on um, Dev2. Uh, you can find a lot of good information just by searching the AngularJS hashtag on there. So. Nice. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. You bet. We'll see you out there. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.